Welcome to another episode of the Pedestrian Podcast. Myself, Stuart Court, and Mr. Adam Nathan. How are we, sir? I'm good. I'm just looking. I think we've done, what's this, episode 189. Yeah. And I feel like I'm more sort of confused and at the weirdest ebb with this team maybe ever in the podcast history after watching that utter shite on Sunday. Yeah, it was... Yeah, it's like we'll get into it, but like the San Francisco game was kind of like, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, we did get carried away, maybe got carried away, but Sunday was just like they're not that good, and they just like uh, Patterson looked like Lamar, like every time he took the ball, all the times, <laughs> just getting seven yards before anyone got uh, in his shadow. Um, joining us this week is probably, I mean. It has to be the most regular guest we've had through those 189, isn't it? Yeah, Surely, gotta be. Gotta be. Uh, from the athletic, one of our favourite people, one of our favourite guests, Mr. Michael Sean Dugar. How are we, sir? What up, guys? What up, guys? Congrats, Adam. Uh, Thank you. Adam, Adam the, the, the father. That is, uh, congrats, man. They said it should never have been allowed, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> eight, and a half, eight and a half weeks, he's still standing. So, Are you, uh, are you getting any sleep? Yeah, he's sleeping well, thank God. So That's are you important. getting any sleep? Yeah, he's sleeping well, and I am a champion sleeper. I am to sleeping <laughs> what, you know, Pete's Tampa 2 defense was to the Anatoly. I'm revolutionary. I revolutionized <laughs> the game. Uh, get me on my right-hand side and I'm gone. So uh, yeah, no. If he's sleeping, I'm sleeping. <laughs> which nice. was what, okay. which is what Cordaro Patterson did on Sunday. Gets to the right yeah. hand side and he's gone. Exactly, he gets um, the right hand side. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, me and you were chatting a little bit before. I mean, like you're in the building, you're in the locker rooms now in this season after COVID years, and, and like it, it cannot be a happy hunting ground um, at the minute. During the week is fine. They've all decompressed. You know, they've they watched the film. They've got it out their system. Post game locker room is not great um, after a, after a loss, particularly after um, like a beat down like the Niners game. Like no one was really no. There wasn't panic, but there was definitely they were stunned. Yeah, I'm asking some guys. I went around the locker room asking, "What's wrong with the offense?" Or I said, "What's going on with the offense?" I don't want to inject the word that that forced them to focus on wrong because they're all just say, I don't think anything's wrong. Um, so I just said, what's going on? And some guys were just like staring in the space. just like, you know, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I don't know how we're not, how we didn't score any points today. Um, so that was, that was kind of fascinating, but like, it's, it is definitely great to be back in there. The impact is huge. You know, like I shook hands with Jordan Brooks like a couple weeks ago and I was like, you know what? It's weird. I had never met Jordan. You know, because he got drafted in 2020 and we weren't in the locker room in 2021 either. So that was my first time meeting their first round pick from, you know, three drafts ago. So just like <laughs> stuff, stuff like that was the um, same thing with Damian Lewis and um, Daryl Taylor. Although I had did a one on one with Daryl before. Um, but like, yeah, the locker, open locker room in like week two it was like first time I had shook Jordan Brooks's hand and said, hey, my name is Mike. You know, and I, God bless all those guys who, when I do that, they tell me their name. It's like, you know what? I appreciate the humility. <laughs> I appreciate the humility. I think Jordan said, like, yeah, you know, my name's Jordan. Or something. It's like, of course it is, man. Like, <laughs> I knew. I knew that. Uh, but, 
I love when I love when quote unquote famous people introduce themselves back. You know, Sierra did the same thing when I met her in 20, 2018 or nineteen. I said, "Oh, my name's Michael," and she was like, oh, "I'm C." And she's like, "Well, duh." Yeah. <laughs> but it was very, very nice. But yeah, the 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 week, the week uh, during the week, the moods are fine. You know, it's it's been interesting to see that um, kind of how that works, and it's really early too. I have a feeling if they if if they get start getting their butts kicked or something like that, and, and it's week thirteen. It could be a little uglier, but like for now, it, it's fine. You know, they they recognize there's 14 more games to go, which is in their defense, that is a that that's a long season, man. A lot of things could change between now and then. Yeah, we we, we floated the idea to last week's guest about him coming back home and play the Niners uh, around Christmas, and it's like if you think we're downcast now, imagine what we're going to be like in 12 weeks, further on down the line, uh, Adam. Yeah, it's it's obviously a good thing that a head coach can bring a team to the level where they believe in themselves unreservedly and they always think they're going to win. But I feel like that thing that you're saying about the team staring into space after a loss and thinking, how did that happen? I feel like we've been here like for the last five or six years to the point where it's becoming that Spider-Man meme of pointing at themselves like the 2016 team to 17 to 18 to 19. At some point... It, I don't think Stuart and I are surprised to see, and I don't think a lot of fans are surprised to see the team lose like that. I, I guess realism isn't what a locker room needs, but at some point they need to start thinking, well, this is kind of what the Seahawks have been for a little while now. And it doesn't appear like there's the same level of concern in the building as there is outside the building, albeit I get we don't get told as much of what's going on. Right, yeah, there's just no benefit to me walking sure. up to Jordan Brooks and he's like, man, guys, yeah, our run defense is fucked, Mike. You know, it's like, <laughs> there's just no reason for him to tell me that. Even sure, if sure, he, sure. That, he does not think that. But even if he did, there was zero, literally zero benefit to telling me that. Um, just so I can tweet it and then the whole world panics. I do think I'll cut him some slack and I've learned this a little bit more over the years. Um, in the moment, like after, like post game, they legitimately don't know a lot of things. Like I remember, like last year, I, I don't, I haven't named the player yet, and I don't think I want to. Um, but after the Washington loss in Monday Night Football, I was watching a replay of the um, interception rush through on the two point conversion. As I was awaiting, I think I was waiting for Bobby to come into uh, post game, and the, how you walked from the visiting locker room, you have to walk past where I was standing to get to the the interview room. And so as I'm watching, and one of the players taps me on the shoulder and was like, "Hey, can I see that?" And I look and I'm, oh, shoot. Oh, yeah, sure. If you want to watch it. Um, he was like, I haven't seen it yet. You know, and that was the, that was the, the game defining play, essentially. And dude had walked to the bus, hadn't seen it yet. Uh, and there's a lot of like that, like guys are sometimes getting taped up on the sidelines. Sometimes they're just they just don't have a good vantage point. You know, like, for example, I asked Al Woods about the run defense um, after the Niners game. I was like, man, what's going on with the run defense? He was like, I don't know, man. You tell me you can see better than I can. Um, <laughs> you know? And he wasn't trying to be an asshole, but he quite literally is right. Al takes on a double team. He can't see what happens on Devo's 50-yard run. He quite literally cannot see it because he is there, there's a guard in the center in his face. You know, so he can't see that Daryl Taylor missed the thing. And, you know, so I mean, they have like the little tablets on the sideline where they go over pictures and stuff sometimes, but if your offense gets a three and out, you really only got so many minutes to go through that stuff before you're right back on the, on the field. So like, I do cut them a little bit more slack than I did maybe in previous years about guys not having answers, not, not really knowing what's going on um, because they just can't, you know, you can't see um, what's on defense. 
if you didn't blow the coverage and somebody did, but you had your back to the coverage, you get a 60 yard bomb. You're like, Hey, what happened on that play? I don't know. I really was, I was guarding my guy. I don't know why the other guy didn't guard his guy, you know? So, and they don't just go after go over all that stuff in the locker room, you know, after the game. So uh, that's why I think the midweek locker room is far more valuable guys that have watched the film. They've cooled down. Um, they've already prepared for the next game. So I think that that, that gives us a little better temperature, I guess, is the long-winded way of saying that, of how, how a team feels. And right now they recognize, like, the numbers stink. Like, I was talking to a member of the offense today. And it was just like, you know what, man? I was, reading, I was reading them some of the numbers. I was like, yeah. He was like, wow, that is bad. Because I have some advanced stuff that they don't necessarily all care about. And it's just like, ah, yeah. And he was like, we ain't scored a touchdown in the second half? And I was like, nope. <laughs> we went through every possession. This was actually today. We went through every possession um, of, of the second half. And it was like, yeah, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. It's like, yeah, no, that's crazy. Like, we got good players. And it's like, yeah, you do, but you got to score. So it's like the 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 midweek stuff has been interesting. And I've, this is only week four of having it. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's fascinating how much you learn. And even even after watching the film, it's still fascinating, you know, how much how you can guys can view the film and see stuff differently. You know, like it's just like the draft. Everybody watches all 32 GMs watched DK, you know, at Ole Miss watched the film. Some guys had a certain grade on them. Some didn't, you know, like that's some people had sixth round grades on Stone Foresight. Some had first round grades. They all had the same film, you know, so that's that's fascinating to see play out, too. You know, I can walk to the locker room. And this is so inside the locker room nugget real, real quick. The locker room used to be structured where all the position groups are with each other. So like all the linemen have lockers next to each other, the quarterbacks, the receivers. I, it looks like because of COVID, they switched it all around and jumbled it. I, I was told the attempt was to make sure that if one guy got COVID, he didn't just wipe out his whole position group, which is weird because they still all meet together. Um, so you, you would still wipe out your whole position group. But anyway, so I say that nugget to say that uh, instead of like if I want to talk to Tyler, for example, and ask him, hey, what's going on with the offense on like a Wednesday? If I wanted to ask Penny Hart that same question, his locker is just not right next to Tyler. So he's not just going to regurgitate what Tyler said. I have to walk across the room to ask Penny and I could get an entirely different answer versus if I go walk across and then go ask Damian Lewis, who's not right next to, you know what I mean? So it's like doing that even has been kind of interesting they all watched the same film, all sat in the same meetings, but they could, I could ask those guys different questions and everybody sees it, sees it differently. So it, it is kind of hard to get a feel for how everyone feels about something in the locker room. You know, like it's not just what Pete says. Pete's one guy. He does not, sp- I've learned he does not speak for the 50, 60 other dudes in there. And that's before you even count the coaches who all watch the film and have different opinions too. Yeah. So I said a couple of weeks ago after Jamal got injured that it- something he brings is that energy that like every time he makes a play he's up during the offensive player and obviously the defense this year doesn't have Bobby Wagner in the heart of it it's only three three and a half weeks in are you seeing like people step into the Wagner breach or the Jamal breach like who maybe didn't expect to or who are kind of like trying to like come on guys need to get this shit together um, well, they've always had the, come on, let's get the shit together, guys. Bobby was always that. It just wasn't like he'd scream at you. Those are just pure energy, whether it's accountability energy or just energy, just like with music or just yelling or dancing. That's Daryl Taylor for sure. Like he's, 
he's randomly if I interview someone in the locker room, he's randomly in the back of my audio quite often, just screaming <laughs> something, you know, at somebody, even if it's just a random, hey, hey, I like your shoes, yelling to somebody across the room, I can just hear that in the back of my recording. Uh, so he's he's another energy guy um, in in the building. And in terms of accountability, I don't know if that was always Jamal's thing. That was I think that was always a Bobby thing, a Quandre thing, an Al Woods thing. Just like, hey, yo, let's we we got to fix this uh, now. Uh, I don't really know how that works on the offense, um, but yeah, on, on defense, I think Quandre is that guy for the accountability. We even talk about just energy and stuff. They got a they got a few different guys who who are kind of like that. But Daryl is the one that stands out the most. That dude is just always has energy. All, all the time. When I was doing my little, um, I did a thing in training camp where I asked everybody on the team who's the best athlete on the team. It never ran because the timing was not right. Um, I wanted to run it week one, but we were too focused on like Russ and Pete stuff, justifiably so. So I never ran it. Uh, but Daryl was like probably number one or number two to DK on that, which was kind of surprising to hear. And I remember somebody told me during that, he was like, I was like, why is DT the best athlete? He's like, man, you just might be walking next to that dude. And he might just hit a backflip. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. It's like I was walking with him the other day. And he just hit a backflip. Like, well, can you imagine that? You're just walking with somebody down the street and they just, you just flip out of nowhere. It's so, so strange. But that just kind of a, is a good illustration of the energy that dude has. And it's kind of nonstop. Very similar to, to Jamal in that way. In the quest to kind of turn this team around, and Bobby's quite illustrative, I think, because he's gone and nominally, I guess, Cody Barton has taken his place. You know, it's probably reductive, but let, let's say it's Wagner in and Barton, sorry, Wagner out and Barton in. And Barton for me is just fine. And there's a lot of guys when you're look, watching the game on Sunday that there's just a lot of fine out there. And I think my worry going into a rebuilding period, not that they would say it's a rebuild, obviously, but I think we know where we are. There's just a lot of fine to clear out. And Watching them on Sunday had me more dispirited than I have been for a while because I'm looking at them thinking where there was such huge talent has just been replaced by just like, yeah, these guys are okay. And there just seems so much to do now to elevate that from kind of a middling thing to to great, which is arguably harder than going from bad to great based on resources and stuff. Yeah, it depends on the positions. You can go from bad to great at some positions quicker than others, uh, like inside linebacker, anything you can get in the second round, pretty much like inside linebacker, center, guard, receiver. Whereas if you need a tackle, an edge, or a quarterback, obviously, you, it's, it's very hard to go from like middling to, to great in those positions. But you know what's interesting about that, to your point there, is um, I was – I was doing a story. Actually, it already ran. I did a story on the 2013 Seahawks, mm -hmm. mostly just because it's been 20 years since the Seahawks switched to the NFC West. So I was like mandated to write a bunch of stories about that. One of them was one of our guys at the Athletic has like an analytics like betting model, and he crunched the numbers on all the teams that won the championship in those 20 years since realignment in 2002 to like quantify which one was the best and ranked them all. And I think his model, not I think, I know, his model said that the 2013 Seahawks and the 2004 Patriots were tied for number one. So they were like, Mike, we need something on 2013 Seahawks. I'm just like, well, what about them? I don't know. Like, it's nothing, nothing happened. <laughs> nothing new. Anyway, but in doing that story, 
I was just kind of going back and looking at some of the guys on the defense. And it is crazy how fast some of those guys not only just became good players, but became the, among the best at their positions very quickly. Like by year two, Sherm was like one of the best corners in the league. Like that legitimately by year two, Bobby, same thing. I don't think Bobby made the Pro Bowl in 2013, but he was like statistically comparable to the linebackers who did. I can't remember who they are off the top of my head. I know Keekley was one. Uh, but he was there year two. By year two, Earl was clearly one of the best safeties in the league. Um, and I, KJ took a little bit of time. Cliff was already very good because he was a first-round pick. So he was a veteran by the time he got there. But, like, there were just some of those guys where by the time they were in their second year with the team or even their third year, they weren't just good. They were legitimately one of the best players at their position. And that's just hard to recreate. But that is what you need to build an elite defense. I think it's not just to build a good one. And before we get to offense, just on defense, I think that is what you need. You need, I was looking at the 2019 Niners um, for, for some reason. I can't remember now, but it was like Nick Bosa was one of the best edge rushers in the league. Not one of the best rookies. He's one of the, just the best. I look at the Cowboys right now, Trevon Diggs and Michael Parsons, who are, I think they're both in year two or, or in year two and year three. Um, yeah. Micah's for sure too. And Trevon, I think is in year three. Uh, they're the some of the best at their position already. Not when they're get, not after they get paid. Not like down the line. No, Michael Parsons is one of the top five edge rushers today, right now, and that's what you need. And you need that as a, as at as many positions as you can acquire it. And you're right, Adam. When you just when you have guys who are like fine, that's cool. But if you want to elevate yourself to a championship defense, you got to hit on, you know. Um, guys who are by year two or year three, excellent players. And that's tough. That's tough to do. They've, they've had like DK, DK by year two was like, Oh, okay. That's like a top 10 receiver like by year, by year two. You know, other than that though, I have, we haven't really seen that from a drafted guy. Shoot. When's the last time we did see that from a drafted guy, Bobby, Bobby, maybe Frank was good, but it took a little bit. Yeah, probably some DK between DK and Bobby. That's I don't think there's really been anybody. You know, Chris Carson was like a top ten back at his peak for sure, top seven probably. That those two are probably the ones that come to my mind. Unless I'm forgetting somebody, it's just like by their second year in the league, they were that dude. It's hard to it's hard to be great when you don't have those players. Then you got to go buy those players either with draft picks or money, and they can get hurt. You know, and then you you've dedicated all those resources to someone at a position who's who doesn't he doesn't pan out? It says it's tough. It's very hard. That's why the draft is so important. You know, that's why GMs get fired when they don't draft well. Yeah, we well, look that, that that Niners team was it all four of their D linemen were top fifteen picks. You had Bosa, Buckner, Armstead, and Solomon Thomas. They were all like top. And then you had they traded Buckner and replaced him with Kinlaw, who again was a top fifteen pick. They used their bad years to build the a pretty good unit. Yeah, I think I think so. I think those are all top ten picks before you got to Kinlaw. I'm pretty pretty sure on that. Yeah, and then the Washington football team. I think the Commanders now, so I can say that the <laughs> Commanders were built pretty similarly. If you, the, it was like Chase Young, Payne, Sweat, and like one other guy. It was like all first round first round picks, you know. And there's a clip. I love this clip um, for, for a lot of reasons, but. The clip where Mike Tomlin is playing the commanders and he looks at Chase Young and he's like, 
He's like, I don't ever want to lose as many games as you got to take to a guy like you. Like, we ain't going to lose that much. Uh, but the reason I love that clip is it speaks to the, how unique some of the players at the top of the draft are. But also, Mike Tomlin is correct. He's never naturally picked that low because he has never had a losing record. And I think the Steelers are the – that's the standard I think should be for most teams. You don't want to be the commanders, even though it's nice to have a Chase Young. I would much rather be – a Tomlin team, you know, because then a, you keep the morale there. Um, and B, you can still get good players. You know, it's, it's just, it's a better place to be. And it's an easier hole to dig yourself out of. I think, you know, the commanders still aren't very good. <laughs> yeah, go, go and draft TJ Watt. Yeah. Who, as you say, year two, top five player in the league in this position. Yeah. yeah. And, and go and trade for Minka. Who's yeah. Probably- for what, for half the hall of the Jamal. Yeah, yeah the, Minka, the Minka thing makes some of those trades look really – the Jalen Ramsey trade looks fine because they won the championship. But the Khalil Mack trade, the Laramie Tunsil trade, and the Jamal trade, those are the other, other guys who are traded for two ones that aren't oh. quarterbacks. All of those look pretty rough in comparison to two other trades in particular, the one for Stephon Diggs and then the one for Minka, where for the most part, the, the Bills and the – the Bills and the Steelers gave up just first-round picks and got studs right away. Guys who are just as good at their positions as Khalil is at his and even as Jalen is at his. Minka's just as good a safety as Jalen is a corner, you know, for half for half the capital. Um, so yeah, like the Minka and Stephon Diggs trades are like what teams should shoot for. The Jamal, Khalil, Jalen, and Tunsil trades probably are not. I don't think teams should do those anymore. Adam? No, I mean, it's... I, I was watching the game on, on Sunday and we've texted a bit and in sort of conjunction with the whole, like this team is fine thing. I've not been the biggest Pete Carroll fan for the last three or four years anyway, but Hey ho, we're here now. Like they chose him over and they're probably going to stick with him for a while, but I, I'm starting to wonder if like, you know, after the buzz of the Denver game where everyone was super excited and rightly so. And it's a great moment for Pete to rally the troops and do what he did. I kind of feel like we're sort of back in the, oh my goodness, is this really the regime that's going to lead us into, yeah, this is the probably the best haul hopefully they'll ever have um, to, to go at an off season with the number of picks, the cap space that's coming in, in the summer. And there's, there's part of me that is back to being slightly concerned that the, these guys ain't it for, for, for who's going to lead us into that period. It's very tricky because you can... You have to hit in the draft and you really can't afford if you can afford to miss on a draft or two, but you have to make up for it somehow. And usually you do that with like trades or something like that. Like you can, you can take a Tedrick Thompson or a Marquise Blair, you know, which ended up, those were like top a hundred picks. Maybe Tedrick might've been one eleven or something. Um, you could, you can whiff on those if you get Quandre for a fifth round pick. You know, you, it has to be said there's some give and take there. You know, you can you can whiff on the the Malik McDowell thing or something, and the Ethan Posick thing. Those are both top sixty picks. If you get Demo and Chris Carson at the back of that draft, you know, for nothing, you know, in terms of value, it's they've had some really like right now they have to really overcompensate, not overcompensate, but you know what I mean in that same regard to make up for the 2021 draft. Cause right now it looks like you just did nothing. You just did absolutely nothing. Um, 
And I, I think Trey Brown, when he comes back, will be fine. But just right now, he's just not out there, you know. So it's, you're just not getting, you know, ROI, return on investment there. D. Brown, or excuse me, D. Eskridge is just not playing him. That's just wild. Uh, can't play Stone because you drafted Charles. And then and you drafted Abe. And then you have a first. You didn't have your first round pick that draft because of Jamal. You didn't have your third round pick that draft because of Jamal. Trade your fifth round pick for Gabe Jackson, a trade I liked, by the way. Um, and still and still do, but Gabe is not performing super well. Um, so it's like because of how that draft went, now you have to you got to do a lot to make up for an entire class. And they did they did good. Abe's good, Ken's good, Boy is good, Charles is good, um, Tariq's good, and Kobe's good. That's that's actually really solid. Uh, but you then you have to. I'm, they're playing all those guys I named. That's a lot of rookie growing pains. Uh, with no other guys from the 2021 class really help helping that out. Um, and it would help if, again, if your 2020 class was nails, which I think it'll be okay, but it's not, it wasn't nails. So you just, it's, it's very tough to believe in the regime in that regard. Um, and I, I'm mostly talking front office and coaching staff here because you have, you, you have to do that to compete. You look at the teams that make deep runs, they have, Guys who are usually top five at their positions and multiple guys like that. The Chiefs, the Bills, um, the, the Bengals were fluky. That's why I thought that I don't think the Bengals would be very good this year uh, because they don't have that. Um, I don't even know if they have any guy who's top five in his position um, to be. Oh, uh, maybe Chase. Chase might be top five. Jamar Chase. Other than that, you know, J- Jesse, Jesse Bates is like a, a maybe at safety. So like that's. You need that to consistently compete, um, and it's it's very helpful if you have them when they're on their rookie deals or something like I mentioned with Dallas. So yeah, I, I have a hard time believing in the vision too, um, in part also because they're trying to win right now. <laughs> you know, you want to win right now, you got to put guys out there who are studs. You know, like that's and that stuff. They have a bunch of guys out there who are who are really solid and probably gonna be studs. They probably lead the league and gonna be studs, you know, on the team right now. I believe I think they got guys who can ball uh, with really high ceilings. I think Ken's ceiling is really high. Charles Cross's ceiling is really high. I think Tariq's got probably the highest ceiling on the team besides DK. Um, just like what he can be relative to other players in the position, but like that's got to kick off now. It's week four, you know. So that's that's the troubling part. They're doing okay. Doing okay is not good enough in the context of if you've done bad in the past, now I need you to do great, you know, um, to make up for it. And I don't know how how quickly this regime can do that. But they've only seen them do it once. And now we kind of look like we know enough to say they caught lightning in a bottle for three years. Yeah. Uh, we said, I think last time you were on the pod before the draft, that if they took a quarterback on that weekend, just give them the reins day one. But we've seen that, as you say, with Tariq, with Charles, with Abe. Is is that going to be of the same benefit? That's going to be of the same. That is going to be of the same benefit that Justin Fields didn't see in Chicago last year, isn't it? Like them getting their legs under them in the first month straight off the bat is going to be a benefit for them to, for Tariq to hit that season. To reach. That oh season. yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, the problem is though you're going to make mistakes along the way, and if you're trying to compete now, that's just tough to deal with. You know, like they've all had. Not they've all had, but the margin for error in the NFL is very small. And so how many would they give up? They give up one touchdown against the Broncos, I think. And yeah, they won 17-16, three field goals, one touchdown. Yeah, a 16. 
who gave up the one touchdown? The rookie. You know, like Kobe comes in and immediately gives up a 67-yard touchdown. Again, I think Kobe's going to be fine. But those are the those are the margins. You know, like they gave up a third and 19 against the Falcons. Well, who gave that up? You know, that was uh, Tariq needed to sink a little bit further. Um, you know, the same thing on the 40-yard run that Cordell Patterson had in, in against the Falcons. Tariq's got to set the edge so it can – so Cordell's first forced to bounce that inside so Quandre can just light him up. Excuse me. So, like, that's that's the issue there. There's It's great to play those guys early. That is. Because there's nothing like playing in an NFL game to get better at playing in an NFL game. Film room only helps you but so much. Like, I don't know why people overstate that, sitting and watching shit. It just not – you have to play. <laughs> you got to play. You have, you have to. Quarterbacks got to go out there and get live bullets. Nobody can hit you in practice. In the NFL, they can hit you. So you need to get prepared to get hit, you know? So I think that playing those guys is great. When you're trying to win right now, the growing pains are um, – exacerbated, I think is probably where I want to just highlighted a lot more, I guess is what I'm trying to say um, on a team that's trying to accomplish something. Nobody really cares if Drake London struggles right now, you know, or if Aiden Hutchinson struggles out the gate because those two teams, no, they ain't winning shit. You know, like that, that's, if, you know, they got that same thing with like some, you know, sauce Gardner and with the jets or if Derek Stingley struggles out the gate, whatever in Houston, those, those franchises know, they're just building towards something bigger. This one is trying to win now. So the growing pains, you can afford fewer of them. But that's tough when, again, I just named half the damn 2022 class. They're all playing. <laughs> it's just a, it's a tough position to be in when you are trying to win a championship right away. You know, it's a lot easier to be the Jets right now who know that they're just still building a foundation. These guys think the foundation's already there. They're trying to win right now. Yeah. Uh, Drake and... Um... Aiden, who are both going to probably beat the Seahawks, uh, Adam. There's been like a desperation to conflate this season with 2011, which is understandable. It's like, you know, get there's no quarterback. So you build the roster and you draft the quarterback next year. Um, I, I'm not a tech guy. I've not studied the quarterbacks, but I've watched kind of all of them play. And outside of CJ Stroud, there's no one there that excites me to the point where I'm thinking, I wonder if next year should be the 2011 remake i mean far, partly because lightning in a bottle they're not going to be at the same level at the end of this year as they were at the end of 2011 where they actually gave a lot of good teams a lot of really good gritty games and i wonder if maybe with the hall they have it's actually next year is the one they should be looking to properly build this roster out and i don't know get a Derek car who's probably going to get cut for low money from las vegas as, as Depressing as it sounds to have another year of rebuilding, I don't know if they can afford to put their, all their eggs in a basket for a quarterback next year when I think there might be more holes than they like to admit. Um, let's so the issue with the 2011 comparison, I'll get, I'll get to that other part too. But the the, the issue I don't, with I don't like the comparison, by the way, because that team yeah. is going to be the best team in the world. So like, it's lazy. But it's, you know what it, I mean. And it, it focuses too much on the result and not the process. Pete didn't expect them to go seven and nine. He's pissed about them going seven and nine. He entered 2011 <laughs> thinking they were going to win a championship. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like they thought they were laying a foundation then either. Think about it. They I mean, just went seven and nine and made the divisional round the year before. Yeah. Pete didn't expect to take a step back. He was like, well, shoot, let's go. Let's go to the championship round the next, you know, that he expected linear growth. It just uh, happened to do that. 
I mean, that's why they went out and spent thirty million on Matt Flynn, wasn't it? That was the next season. They yeah, that, that was after twenty eleven with T Jack. Then he went and got Flynn. Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't. Get, they ended twenty eleven though with Tavares, and I yeah. and a lot of the twenty eleven comps are to like, okay, yeah, we laid the foundation that year. That wasn't the point of the year. <laughs> point of the year was to make the playoffs again, win the division again, and win a playoff game again, and keep stacking them. You know, if, at this point, when you ask Pete about the Beastquake, the main thing he he always ends his co- comment about the Beastquake is, yeah, I just wish we would have went to Chicago and won after that. Like the run was fine. It's like the team didn't win. And that's the, that's the main issue with like asking Pete about the comp, which he's been asked a few times, is it, it focuses too much on what happened at the end there, as if that was the point of the season. It was not. They weren't. They did not view themselves as the equivalent of the Jets or the Lions or the Falcons or the Texans or even the Giants. You know, they didn't view themselves in that context. They viewed themselves like a team that just made the playoffs and wanted to go win again. You know, and that's a different different mindset. Um, and I also think that. The difference in that 2011 season is like I was mentioning with some of those guys who were already there, they were really good. Like really, Brandon Browner was a pro bowler in that year, I think in 2011. I'm pretty sure he led the league in like passive defense with like 21 or something like that. Like they had studs in the making. You could just, you could just see it. Um, and maybe we will see it at the end, but I think the 2011 comp is lazy in that regard. It only focuses on what happened at the end to set up 2012 when at this point in 2011, they were like, Oh, let's go, let's go back to the playoffs again. You know, T-Jack, T-Jack can get us there. Hasselbeck got us there. Like that was the, that, that was the thought. And it was frustrating for them not to do that. It wasn't like, Oh yeah, well, 2011, we're going, this shit's going to kick. No, it's like, dang, only won seven games again, huh? Well, <laughs> let's, let, let's, let's, let's figure something out. Um, as far as the quarterback situation, Currently, currently, on an offensive standpoint, they are actually in good position, I think, to drop a rookie in there if you want to rebuild. That's the thing. It's rookie quarterback ain't taking to a championship. Second-year quarterback's probably not taking it to the championship either. Like, Mahomes is kind of an aberration in that regard. Like, even as good as second-year Lamar Jackson was, his team got bounced in the first round. You know, Justin Herbert's already kind of been crowned the next best, you know, white football quarterback god. He, he ain't one shit either. Um, either as Josh Allen, right, uh, when he popped in year three or whatever it was. So just I think the I, – I don't think people really understand how much your your clock resets when you start a rookie quarterback. You don't just plop dude in and then the, he's the missing piece. No, it's not. That's what the the Bucks did with Brady. He was legitimately the missing piece. You plopped him in there, and he was ready to roll. That's not how it works with a rookie. Your clock resets. That's why I'm so critical of Detroit. Their clock's not as good as their team is. Like in terms of the foundation, the clock will reset if they take this Will Levis kid or something like that. It's not just gonna you just pop Will in and then he just leads the Lions to the NFC North title. That's not how it's gonna. I can promise you that's not how it's gonna go. Um, he's gonna struggle quite a bit. And then the, that's really when there's like, all right, we'll give him some time. Well, while you're giving him time, Penny Sewell's already in your four now or whatever. You're giving him time. I mean, Ross St. Brown's now in year three and you might have to pay dude. While you're giving him time, Jeff Okuda's in a contract year. So it's like your clock resets with a quarterback, not with just a, a good core. So if they do take a CJ Stroud or the kid, even the kid from Stanford or a kid from Florida, I'm talking quarterbacks, even Bryce Young, 
the clock resets, you know, on what's real for your expectations. Even if there's talent around them, Jameis had all that talent around him in Tampa. He wasn't it. <laughs> you know, it just wasn't. Threw for 5,000 yards and 33 touchdowns in 2019. And I don't think they made the playoffs, you know, with the foundation that they had. So it's, I, I'm weary of them thinking that I, – I don't know if these guys think they're a quarterback away because they really like Geno, but I would hope that they don't because that's just – you're putting way too much pressure on a, a rookie quarterback to be a missing piece when rookie quarterbacks are almost never, you know, the missing piece in that regard. So is there the chance they just sort of transcend and float along into like the next Indianapolis of just trying to – you know, stopgap because in a way they're probably not going to get much better play from a rookie quarterback than they have done from Geno Smith this year so far outside of like the clutch when it really matters, which is obviously where he, he falls short. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, is this going to be a, is it going to be a Derek Carr and then a Kirk Cousins in the same way as it was a Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan down in Indy? Uh, I hope not. I hope John's smarter than that. John Snyder. Cause that's just such a dangerous world to be in. The Colts are just, I, I, I'm someone who thinks the Colts are just never what we're told they're going to be every off season. <laughs> it's insane how well their people over there play the media game. Cause every year it's like, ah, yeah, the Colts, they got this. And it's like, no man, your team ain't that good. Keep getting your ass kicked by Jacksonville. Like, let's, let's be really honest here. Your owner was so pissed that he <laughs> did a selfie video outside of his private jet to say you guys all suck. You know, that's it. <laughs> That's an issue. Like your franchise not that good. I think the 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 perfect world is like to be like the Steelers is to just be right there, and then try and then try to actually no the perfect world is the Bucks, the twenty nineteen Bucks because they most of the players that they had that won the championship they were already there when Brady came. You know Brady looked at the roster and said, "Yo, okay, let me pull up over there and do my thing." Or even the Broncos. You know they went up. Russ wouldn't have went there if they didn't have a good roster. You know, they have a good roster over there in, in, in Denver. They, they've gone through some injuries and stuff now, but – and I know their offense doesn't look great, but the roster itself looked fine. Like, Russ was never going to go to the Jets, you know, because Russ wasn't trying to freaking rebuild. So, I think I think that the plan should be to get the bet, the quarterback that gets you to the championship the fastest, whoever that is. So, if that is Carr, if that is a Cousins, if that's – I don't think this will happen, but if that's Lamar Jackson or whatever, whoever, that should be the goal, uh, I, I think. Because the the window is small, man. They got some key guys here who aren't going to be elite for that much longer. You know, how much – think about it. Think of starting over. At, Tyler just turned 30 the other day. Think about starting over with a rookie, you know, with him. You want you want to get that going right now while Tyler – Quandre turns 30 in January. Um you know, D, uh, D, uh, DK and Jamal, they'll, they'll find they'll be around here. But like Al Woods is one of your best players. Al's 35. You know, you should try to win like right now. Gabe Jackson is in uh, 30s as well. There's some dudes here. It's like, dude, your whole team ain't that young. You know, so uh, if I was them, my quarterback plan, I would still draft a rookie. I think you should draft a quarterback every year. Um, but you you got to also look at it in the offseason before the draft to try to get the best quarterback possible why you do have somewhat of a foundation there so your clock doesn't totally reset so there's, there was probably a conversation between pete john and jody in was it february march whenever all that was supposed to happen which of those plans do you think that they would have sold to jody would they have sold the Derek Carr 2024 2023 or would they have sold 
look at these, look at the college championship game. One of those guys is going to be jettisoned in if we pull the trigger on Russ going somewhere else. Uh, just- That's interesting because I, I do wonder how aligned Pete and John are. And this, this is not anything anyone's told me, but I just wonder sometimes how aligned they are on some of these big decisions. Because Pete kind of told us that he wanted Russ to stay. You know, like he he tried to con- he told us, yeah, I could try to convince Russ to stick around. You know, I was not not for it. John ain't never said no shit like that. <laughs> like <laughs> it, uh, intentionally, it seems very clear that like John was trying to get dude up out of here, uh, <laughs> and felt like he could build build the thing again. Whereas Pete was like, okay, I guess we can build the thing again, but I'd, I'd like to keep number three while we try to build the thing. You know, if, if we can, it doesn't like they're aligned, I'm sure, like now, but it, it, that does seem like they weren't at the time on something like that. Uh, I also wondered that about the quarterback situation, too. Like, how much of J- John really wants wanted Drew to start? You know, like John, John scouted somebody found a picture of John, like off to the side watching Drew Locke during the 2019 Senior Bowl. They posted like, a, like five months ago or something. Like, John's been watching that dude for a while and he traded for him. And he's still not starting, you know. Um, I wonder how aligned they are. Meanwhile, Pete was clamoring for Gino to come back before Gino was on the roster, you know. And I just wonder how aligned they are. So to your question, Stu, I, I just wonder how, like in theory, I would imagine John selling one version of the plan is like, yeah, no, let's let's build this foundation, you know. So you know, based on you know, these picks that we're gonna have and this this draft cap draft capital, while it's Pete's like. Nah, give me Gino, a defense and a run game. I I can I can get you to the promised land. I've done it before. I'll do it again. Um, which is not it's a little arrogant, but I get them. You know, a lot of people feel confident in things when they can draw on their past experiences. That's just human nature. You know, if you've done something before, it gives you confidence you can do it again. Um, no matter if that's like valid or not, just it's a mental thing. So I I I would imagine them kind of combining those two visions to to Jody. You know, which is which is tough, which probably explains why their roster looks so funky. Like they have some dudes making a lot of money and then they have a bunch of dudes making nothing. That's I mean, a lot of NFL rosters are structured like that, but it's at weird positions. They have two of the highest paid safeties and then two of the highest paid like receivers. Uh, And that's pretty much it. You know, it's a, it's a very weirdly constructed roster. It's like one that's trying to win now, but also building for the future which is why I kind of gave that context of how the two visions may not have been totally aligned at some point, because this roster feels like half of a John vision and then half of a Pete vision. Uh, it's, it's very straight. Like they have some, a lot of promise, but promise doesn't win you games in 2022 talent does. So yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not really sure what vision they would have sold her. Like I said, probably some combination of the two, but I don't really think you can play for the future and play for the present at the same time in the NFL. Um, the other team will kick your ass every Sunday if you try to do that. And they'll, they'll kick the future part of your team's ass, you know, in the present, you know, if you, if you try to do that. So I think it's it's very weird. They're a weird roster. Like when I was doing uh, interviews around the league and stuff like that, people would have me on their shows. Like they're doing like, a, let's check in on all 32 teams. Here's Mike to talk about the Seahawks. It was always a conversation about how weird the roster was. You know, it's again, it's playing. It's like playing for the present while playing for the future. It's very, very, very strange combination of players on the team right now. Yeah, I mean, basically all the running backs are on rookie deals, aren't they? I Rashad, Rashad, Walker, DJ, and Homer are all 
a rookie contract? So they have to, surely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone, all the running backs are on rookie contracts. And then like D, or excuse me, DK makes like 24 million, Tyler makes 17, and then nobody else makes more than whatever D Eskridge makes, you know, which is that's a huge gap. Yeah. It's huge. Uh, the t- there's going to be a lot of money in tight ends as of next year with no offense, fifth year option, and then the second year of Will Disley's contract. It's like a lot of money in tight ends, a lot of money on the safety position, but like virtually none on corners, uh, pretty low money on edge rushers, uh, low money on linebackers, uh, not really any money on linemen. It's a, it's a weird ride. It's for the future and the present at the same time. It's very, very, it's very hard to do that. That's probably why there's so many ebbs and flows in these Seahawks games through three weeks. It's just hard to build a roster like that. We're, pro- we're probably kind of seeing the money play out on Sundays. Like DK and Tyler were nails on Sunday and they were everywhere for Gino. And, you know, the Quandre maybe hasn't made as many splashy plays as he has, but you know, that the, the center of the defense looks, looks fine at the, in the back end from a safety standpoint, but it is the linebackers. It is the, you know, the corners, it is the edge rushes that are getting, I don't, I don't want to say found out, but you know, they're taking their lumps because they're, newer to it and they're not you know, they're not getting paid to to be the, the stars at this stage yeah it's it's not fully lining up that way in some cases it is but what's interesting what is a fun thing to do if you're a nerd like me is um because this happens to me when i watch other teams because i don't know every player by every, on every other team just by their number like when you're watching the film so i just sometimes i'll be watching them like man 24 is good who's this guy Oh, wow, that's a rookie, huh? Six-round pick. Would have never known. Or I'll be like, wow, man, 67 stinks. Who is this on the Bears? Oh, wow, he's in his 10th year. You know, you just <laughs> never really know. A fun exercise is kind of to do that with the Seahawks. Just watch the film. You don't know who any of the players are. You just go by their numbers and how they perform. See if you can spot the dudes on rookie deals. You know, it's like a very interesting – or just I guess you can just pretend. If you watch, watch the game on Sunday, see how many dudes you think, wow, that guy's on a rookie deal, huh? Or, oh, wow, that dude must be – he must be a vet. You know, um, it's a very fun exercise. And it's, if you look at the roster just that way, it gets really weird because you're right. You'd be like, whoa, number 14 is serious. <laughs> that dude must have been in the league for a while. Same thing with 16. Um, 99, you'd be like, well, 99 is a beast. Like, that dude might be a Hall of Famer or something. Huh? He's killing it. And uh, it just you just go around. Oddly enough, you would think Gino's like a pro bowler or something like that. He makes... <laughs> He makes a lot of plays um, in in their games, but yeah, it's you don't see enough of dudes you would watch and just don't know their names and think, "Wow, player number blah 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 is solid." Like that dude's a stud. Like ignore their money for a second, just just when you watch a game. That's an interesting way to uh, analyze this uh, this team. You can't necessarily everyone can't do it because everyone does have all twenty two. But if you do it that way, like I do sometimes, like wow. This is why this team is so funky. There's some dudes on here who are potential studs, and there's some dudes on here. It's like, wow, is that guy is that guy an undrafted free agent? Because that's how he looks on 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 film. You know, that's kind of been a fun fun exercise uh, to do, but kind of concerning a little bit too, because you get more dudes who look like <laughs> guys on rookie deals than look like studs. There are some studs on the roster, but n- not as many as when you watch like the Chiefs tape or Bills tape or. You know, even some of the uh, Packers, a little bit, Bucks. Those teams are full of studs everywhere. Yeah, I mean, talking about numbers, I didn't know who 10 and 13 were for the Seahawks for most of the Denver game. 10 looks like one of their best defenders. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. Chenna's killing him. You know, like he's he's easily their best edge uh, edge guy. You know, through th- three weeks. Uh, and he's another guy who was like in a weird, weird contract situation. He got like two years, nine and a half million a year or something like that. Um, he's like their fifth highest paid guy, Uchenna is or something. I think it's like D is, is DK, DK, Tyler, Quandre, Jamal, and then Uchenna. I'm pretty sure it's either Uchenna or Puna. Um, so it's like, it's, it's weird. It's weird looking at, you know, the roster in that way versus like just play and look at their numbers and then go look at how much guys are making. It's it's a weird it's a weird space to be in for this team. They threw the ball around a lot on Sunday. I think they had like 10 different pass catches, which is pretty impressive, but it does strike me that everyone when they list off the great players is like, well there's, you know, DK and Tyler, DK and Tyler. But there's part of me that thinks that they only have two of these guys to name and Without that third guy, they have seemed to cover, you know, getting a third guy, whether it was Eskridge hasn't worked out. Uh, Marquis God, yeah, Goodwin, are the, are the two are the two of the, the stars and Gino in a way being slightly stymied by the fact that there are only two of them that can be counted on on a regular basis? Because God, God knows what happens if one of those goes down with an injury. The, the issue, I think, is I don't know if there's an identity for the team yet. You know, I was talking about somebody with this, somebody actually on the team, say actually a separate guy than I was talking to earlier that I referenced. Uh, they walk around, they, they're the running backs coach, Chad Morton. He, he's made hats that say run the damn ball on them. <laughs> I think that the Huskies had similar. Yeah, that always works really well when Jimmy Lake walked on state on his. Yeah. 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 The Huskies had those two. And it, yeah, it just did not go well. And I forget why in particular, because I don't really follow them too much, but I just remember that. And I thought about it when these guys, you know, had those hats. You look at their numbers, like, man, you guys are kind of slinging it all over the yard, you know, like, and it's not because the game script says you have to do that, meaning that, like, it's not just because they're down 15 every game and have to throw. They're running in the ball, or excuse me, they're throwing it in situations where you could be running it. Uh, so it's a, it's very strange. It made me think about, like, what the identity of the team actually is versus the what the the motto or is are supposed to be like what the head coach would want versus what the OC would want versus what like some of the other coaches or players would want. Cause you would think, I thought this team would be built more like the Browns or like the, the Colts or even the Eagles to some extent, they have a running quarterbacks. So it's a little different, but maybe a good example would be like the Vikings or the Niners. Both of those teams are like, we're going to run this damn ball. You know, we're, we're going to run it and we're going to build everything off of that. Same thing. Pete always says, we ain't build nothing off of nothing. You know, uh, uh, around here, they're and not even that. That's what I want them to do. I'm just saying that the it's the 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 tape and the numbers do not line up to what has been said, what has been preached, um, and that's very interesting. I don't know why that is, um, but it's it, through three weeks I can see it. I'm like, y'all wearing hats that say "run the damn ball," and you're like ninth in neutral pass rate. Uh, okay, something's who lied to us? You know, like I don't. I don't understand. So um, I need, we need to figure that out. I think that's the that's the real issue. I don't know if the, through three weeks the Seahawks have an offensive identity, which would probably explain why they look so disjointed at times. Um, yeah, I mean, you had a really interesting point on your podcast, which is obviously a must listen for any fan about like halftime is 12 minutes long. So guys go in, they might change some strapping, they get shouted at by for a couple of minutes. And like this idea that like you can make wholesale adjustments probably isn't actually as valid as it's made out. Like, oh, they murdered them with the halftime adjustments, but something is happening. 
against the Seahawks that means that they can't do shit in the second half. I mean, the first throughout the San Francisco game because they didn't do anything in the first half either. But they're you know it's particularly like, and I don't know anything, but like there seems to be a lack of the crossing routes, and not be able to get the tight ends involved in the second half of both games. From your sort of more tape analytical idea, what are they not doing in the second half, or what are they being stopped from being doing, having able to do in the second half that's prohibiting them from being as effective? Because it's like chalk and cheese in, in both games. Yeah, I think I think that one thing that's been happening, and you. Once I said, you'd be like, well, yeah, it's obvious. Uh, the defense is is more disciplined in the second half of some of these games. Like, if you really look at some of the big plays they've had in some of these first halves, they're really fluky. You know, like, look at this first touchdown to Will. Let's use that as an example. Nine times out of ten, that blitzer just smokes the quarterback, and they punt. You know, but Geno just so happened to dodge it, creating a broken play. And then Will's open. So then it creates the illusion that like, oh, see, look, they're using the tight ends more. Well, that play wasn't for Will. <laughs> the tight end, the touchdown to Kobe Parkinson wasn't for Kobe. You know, like they, they were just, that's where the read was. And I think both of those are busted plays. Uh, I can't remember how they scored in some of the, how they score against the Falcons. They will scored. again. Uh, yeah, Will. That might have been the, the, the will that okay that one might have been for will because that was just a nasty against the coverage they had too high you hit will right up the middle to see him that might have been for will that wasn't a bust um i think they had a bust on the dk touchdown uh aj terrell is not playing it the same way as the safety is playing it which is why aj falls off the dk and dk's in the open you know for, for gino to throw it but i think there's been a lot more discipline and a lot fewer of those broken plays you know like they don't have Freddie Swain anymore, but Freddie Freddie had like every touchdown he scored was a broken play. Every time it was just wide ass open, pretty much every time. Um, and he didn't score when that wasn't the case. And part of that is because he's got usually the first read on a play. But I think that that's the common theme that I see. One, number two, can't run the ball. I mean, they're not running the ball. That's just it's just very tough to get down to the red zone and score when you're not you're not able to run the ball i know i mean you even look at the, as much high flying as some of these offenses look with the chiefs and the packers in the past and the bills all of those teams run the ball in the red zone like it, it the, I, it's really easy to see once you play fantasy and you'd be like a fantasy person that has mike evans and you're like damn every time they get inside the five it's fournette scoring you know or Gronk, <laughs> or mostly fournette uh, or Brady doing a sneak, or if you have like Devonta Adams in fantasy games with the Packers, you're like, damn, every time you get down there, it's AJ Dillon running it in or something like that. Like te- the good teams, even the ones that throw it up quite a bit, you know, Josh Allen ends up just running it in half the damn time with the, with the bills. Um, like Patrick Mahomes throws a shovel pass to Travis Kelsey once every game on the goal line. I swear he had to throw <laughs> the underhand thing to CH or Travis every freaking time. Even the Ravens just did it to score to, to Mark Andrews. I think like, the the good teams on there can run the ball down there. So I think that's those those two issues are what pop up in my head the most when I think about their second half stuff. It's not one thing in particular, but if I had to kind of clump them together, yeah, you defenses just aren't fucking up, you know, as, as much. That's that's an issue. And then the other one is, yeah, if you don't run the ball, if you have to throw for every touchdown you score, you're not gonna win can promise you that <laughs> you gotta be able to run it in there somehow even if it's your quarterback running it in you have to be able to run it in there at some point the seahawks are one of like five or six teams i think 
that don't have a rushing touchdown this year, like that that that's an issue. Like you you need to be able to run touchdowns in and throw touchdowns in. That's very important. Is is that like a run game? Uh, Penny Walker, uh, DJ Homer issue? Is that Bly, Austin Bly, Gabe and? Damien or Haynes? What? 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 Is, or is that just a scheme thing that isn't quite like hit, hit hit the sweet spot yet? I think that they. It's a few things. One, it's a mentality thing. Like I said they got these hats to say run the damn ball, and they're just not. They don't look as committed to it as you think a Pete Carroll team would be. Like every, everyone who watched that Thursday night game against the Brown, it was like the Browns and was it the Steelers? I think uh, yeah. a ago. Like Jacoby threw a lot in that game, but you could you could tell that the, the Browns were dedicated to getting the ball to twenty four and twenty seven, right? It Chubb and Kareem Hunt. You could just you could you could see it, you know. Like when you watch a Viking game, same thing. Same thing if you watch a Lions team or you watch the Eagles uh, right now with Hurts uh, and Miles Sanders, and they got one more running back too. Game well, maybe Boston Scott, one of them guys. Um, you can you can just smell a commitment there. That's that's part of it. The other thing is. I think it's the blocking more than the, the running backs. The running backs are hitting it fine. Like they really, like you look at Penny looks good. He actually really does. Like when he has negative runs, they have not been his fault. You know, for the most part, it's been a lot of, oh, wow, you're just going to not block Nick Bosa, huh? That's a problem. <laughs> you know, like that, that, or I think Ken Walker has gone the wrong way twice in yeah. one place um, already. I don't know if they've talked about that much in the broadcast, but it's like very obvious he's doing, he's the one messing up um, on those. So like when they get the ball in their hands though they've been they've been fine. I think the interior line has not been very strong um, to start. I think Pete Carroll kind of in his Pete speak way admitted that last week when I asked him about the interior line. Um, these like D. Lou could probably be a little better. I think Austin's actually been okay. He got beat pretty bad by Grady Jarrett um, in the fourth quarter on on Sunday. That that was tough. Uh, and then I think Gabe has Gabe has performed in a way that like. If his contract wasn't what it is, you would probably just consider playing Phil Haynes, um, if if all things were, were equal. So I think they've they've got to fix that up. Um, the scheme I think is fine. I think the blocks themselves, I mean the the the, the stuff they're running, the zone stuff they're running, mid zone, wide zone stuff like that, is it, fine. But yeah, they just haven't had a lot of room to run consistently. And when they've had room, they've done a lot. I think Rashad's probably at like four or five yards a pop or something like that. You know, Ken Walker looks fine when he gets the ball in his hands. The blocking is just kind of not, not there. And then they're just, they just kind of go away from running the ball. Um, and that's just unsustainable. Because yeah, before the season started, the big question on the run game was the pass heavy Mississippi state left tackle and the pass heavy Wazoo right tackle. They, the rookies were going to be the issues, but, they're the two people you haven't mentioned that they seem to be, especially Abe Lucas seems to be, apart from one holding call, I think, seems to be holding up pretty well in that aspect of the game, which is the one which was highlighted as a uh, an area of concern coming into the season. Yeah, and, and Pete tried to tell us, he tried to warn us, like, yeah, no, those guys are good athletes, they'll be fine. And then you see the tape and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense when Charles has to go <laughs> climb up to the to the, to the the edge rusher, basically the equivalent of like where the, the Daryl Taylor is on the other team. Like he's he's getting to that guy and he's holding him down and then it's just on Charles to just hold down the backside so Rashad can make that cut and 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 then go make a big play like that part is fine but you you get some big boys in there against Austin and Gabe and in D Lou not to say they can't handle them but that is I can see why that was a bit more of a 
I can see why that's become more of a, a little bit of a concern, you know, for, for this team and in, in, in actual implementation. Like Austin's been okay, like I like I said, but like they've had some issues uh up, up front. But it ain't it ain't from the rookies, I don't think. I think those dudes are holding up. The pass protection in general looks good though. I, I will I will say that. They struggled a little bit in the interior in the Niners game. That was that was pretty that was just not a good Gabe Jackson game, really. That was that that was not uh, at, at all. I think that was a big part of that problem. But other, otherwise, yeah, the tackles have been fine. Those are some solid, solid dudes. Like Pete and John seem to have nailed those two picks to their credit. Yeah. Uh, so Sunday, Detroit, uh, Jared Goff, our old pal. <laughs> um, the injury report for Detroit is quite long. Um, it it it's get right. Is this a get right one, or is it still a dangerous proposition with the issues that we've seen through three weeks with the Seahawks team? Uh, they should win the game if these if uh, if they don't have Amon Ross, St. Brown, DeAndre Swift, and a couple of their linemen. Good lord! Like you got to win that. <laughs> like, the Lions have been putting up points. They're one of the best scoring offenses in the league, but it's because of the guys that are just named. Yeah, you know. So like you need you need them. The linemen you need. Swift you you. I don't know if you need, but you should have. Um, and then I'm on Ross St. Brown. You 100% need that dude is a stud. Uh, people around here get caught up on not drafting Creed Humphrey, which is I understand, but the issue was not drafting Amon. Like that was a dude is he is serious. He is. He he, like, he went after Eskridge. Yeah, way after. I think he went yeah, two rounds. Round. Yeah, a, I, I I mocked him to the Seahawks at like pick a hundred after maybe some trades. I think. I was like, yeah, take this kid. I'm on Ross St. Brown, who really got me sold on him was Danny Kelly. I was reading Danny Kelly's draft guide that year, and he he mocked, he comped him to uh, Golden Tate. And Danny's really good with player comps, um, more, better than most people who do the draft stuff, just at that particular thing. I think everybody, there's some guys who are just good at analyzing draft picks and stuff. Danny's super good at finding a guy who matches a guy. So when Danny said Golden, I was like, oh, let me see. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Danny's on to something. And I'm like, oh, well, they should draft this guy. And then they just didn't, uh, which is, that, that stinks. And then that was before I even knew that Amon Ross St. Brown is the type of guy to remember everyone drafted ahead of him. You you <laughs> always want to take those type of dudes, man. You Because those motherfuckers will never forget. He's <laughs> never going to forget the Seahawks took DS over him. Never, 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 never. Yeah. He's going to try to go for 200 yards every time he plays the Seahawks now um, because of that. I love dudes like that. As long as they're not like, Jamal, who's like, I remember everybody drafted ahead of me when I was the sixth pick. (laughs) That's come on. That's 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 it was not a chip on your shoulder. It was the army Brown, wasn't it? The Washington, North Carolina kid who was the one who was in his crosshairs like 10 days ago. I'm on. I'm on. Yeah. Yeah. That was the uh, the impetus for his kind of like rant. There was he got well, he got asked about sticking it to the commanders, I think, in particular. Yeah. Then he then went to well, yeah, who they drafted over me. Um, and if that happens again, on if he goes off on Sunday, I imagine that he probably will bring that up. That yeah, yeah, that they drafted they drafted D ahead of him. I I, I probably have watched um, Amon Ra for like twenty two games, thinking he was in that second round Rondé Moore, D Eskridge, Tutu Atwell range. Uh, yeah, I like I like all those guys. Well, actually, I didn't like Tutu that much. I thought Tutu was like. He was way too small. Tutu, I think he was the only guy in the draft the same dimensions as me. He was like <laughs> 5'8", 155. 160, yeah. 
Yeah, I was like, you can't play in the NFL at that. I don't care how I don't care how fast you are. If you ain't playing in the NFL at no five eight one fifty five, they'll break you. Um, at, at some point, that's just uh, that's just rough. I I think I picked I think I picked the Lions on our podcast. Although that was before the, the injury report was like as big as a cheesecake factory menu. <laughs> um, I think that now if the right if the right guys are injured on Detroit, like the Seahawks, not only should win, they should they might be able to blow these guys out, man. Like the Lions defense is really bad. It was bad with Tracy Walker, um, and now it's now it doesn't have him. And yeah, they they can't stop the run. They blitz a lot. Probably, I think the third highest rate in the league. They just have an aggressive defense in general, which is fine until that aggression is in the wrong gap or misses a tackle. Then it's a sixty-yard play. So, like, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the like you, particularly for the offense, the get right games too, where they score like a thirty ball, and Rashad goes for a buck. 35 on the ground and DK scores twice. Remember he scored three times against these guys last year. This does seem like the, the game, maybe Noah Fant finally scores or something like that. Like this, this seems like that game defense. I'm not quite sure um, because they just, they're just not getting guys playing very well on D. It is concerning. They got some dudes who are just legitimately not playing well. And they, it looks like the scheme is not helping them. I'm really concerned about the, the defense. I talked about this on our show, Seahawks man to man with Chris too. I was like, I just don't see a switch being flipped. Like I could kind of see it in years past. It's just going to require some dudes playing much better, which is doable. But if it was that simple, they wouldn't have been playing bad in the first place. You know, some of these guys, you know, so we'll, we'll see. To wrap up on the Seahawks stuff. Uh, you know, we do have a lot of like Seahawk 101 listeners and I'm still consider myself more than easily new to the game. So if the season isn't one that Seahawks fans are used to with, you know, championships and playoffs, and this is a hard question to put you on the spot with, but if there's one, two or three things that fans should watch for, for the rest of the year and say, well, that's something I can take into next year as a, as, as a touchstone for, for, for this roster and, and going forward, what, what, what would you recommend that to be? I think whenever you're unsure about the regime and the head coach and stuff like that, you got to look at how the team finishes games. If they finish them like strong, even if they don't win, it's just like, that's a good sign that they believe in what the system is. Um, They believe in each other and believe in in playing for each other and playing for the coach. Um, I think the Niners game was very concerning in that regard uh, because it looked like they just wilted, wilted away. Um, The the Vikings game last year was pretty concerning. Like you see all those guys that were screaming at each other. It just looked like they had fallen apart. Um, they ultimately didn't, but stuff like that. Like I, I was actually kind of higher on the Falcons coming into this, that game last week because I had watched their games against Atlanta or excuse me, against the saints and the Rams. Like they fought to the end. They were down 20 to three against the Rams in week two and had the ball down four with like 10 seconds left to go win it. And they needed a Hail Mary, which you get my point. Like they, they grinded back, you know, that was a good sign. If I was like an Atlanta fan, unsure about Arthur Smith, it's like, oh, that team is fighting for its head coach. If nothing else, they're fighting for each other. And that's what you need. You know, otherwise you got fire everybody, you know, when they're, when they're not, you know, uh, come finishing games for the, for each other or for their head coach. So that's what, even if they're not stacking up the wins, that's what you got to see to be encouraged. You know, like if it's week, if they re, they play the Niners again, week 15 on Thursday night football, they lay an egg, man. That's bad. That's bad. Like it, if they're laying egg and against the jets or the giants or the Raiders or whoever, if they're not fighting to the end for each other or for Pete and the coaching staff, then you got to worry. So if you see that, if you see them fighting, then it's like, okay, it's not great, but there's something to build on. 
once you once guys are no longer fighting for each other or the or the staff, it's one, two, three, Cancun, you know, for the guy, that's bad. Fire everybody, trade everybody. Um, so you want to, if you're looking for something that's not even X's and O's, look for that. And you, you'll know when you see it, like you can see it in the Falcons game. Like that team was fighting for Arthur Smith to the last, the last moment, you know, and that's what you want to see from Pete's team late in the year. Yeah, I think if, if Arthur Smith didn't do uh, press conferences, I think he'd be like 60% more secure in his job. But some of the things he comes out <laughs> with are just absolutely mind boggling. Um, Ben, Adam, or have you got? Yeah, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Uh, I'm going to kick off. A few weeks ago, Mike, uh, we said that we weren't going to mention the quarterback who is not the quarterback anymore. So I'm going to put myself in the bin because about 22 minutes ago, I mentioned <laughs> who is, is not the quarterback anymore. Uh, Adam? Oh, you've caught me on the hop. Um, who needs to go in the bin? Um. Not necessarily a bin thing, but I do do find it amazing that Jameis is playing with like four broken backs and like he's on the injury report of like brackets back. It just it just so Jameis <laughs> to me that like his his back is literally broken and he's just like on the injury report as like questionable. Um, that's not a bin so much. Um, how close is Brandon Staley getting to be like? Oh, that's a fun one. What was this sort of great white hope of coaching? Um, almost like a budget Mike McDaniel, he seems at the minute. Uh, and I, I, want, I wonder if maybe he, uh, I, I, heard, I think it was Mike Florio say, like when you have this many injuries year after year after year, like it ceases to be luck at some point. And I just wonder if this whole Chargers regime is something that needs to go in the bin and start again so they don't end up wasting what potential Justin Herbert has there. They should have lost the benefit of the doubt as a franchise in the medical department when they almost killed Tyrod Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, that, that, that's it. it once, okay. once that happens, it, it's not luck. You, your medical staff tried to kill your quarterback <laughs> pregame. That, that's your problem. The detail that Schefter went into to procedure that um, Herbert was going to have to have to play on Sunday was incredible because he was clearly just like writing like the – the, the preamble for a lawsuit, if anything went wrong for Herbert. <laughs> like he's going to do this on this part of his body. It was incredible. Uh, but uh, Staley was a McVeigh. Is a McVeigh, like, he's from the McVeigh. Is he McVeigh? Yeah, he was his defensive yeah, coordinator, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he was the DC for one year in 2020 when the Rams had the best defense, the defense that basically broke the Seahawks in 2020. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, let's see. Who's my... Oh, Obvious Ben, obvious Ben can is Brett Favre. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> I, I've only been, okay, I actually have two. I think uh, one football, one, one non-football. Yeah, it's Brett Favre. Yeah, just, the, the, I, I, so I had seen the headlines about Brett Favre, but I had been really busy writing some of those realignment stories. So I, I have a bunch of stuff bookmarked on t- in my Twitter to read later. And, and I finally was like, okay, I'm seeing way too much Brett Favre shit. Let me just stop and just read. I was like, oh. He was stealing from poor people in Mississippi? That's low, man. Mississippi's black as hell. It's one of the blackest states we got. And it's one of the poorest states we got. And those are not an accident that those two things uh, coincide. Brett's out here stealing money from them? Oh, man. To build a little funky-ass volleyball arena for his daughter? <laughs> no. <laughs> that, that, that's so bad. It's, I mean, it's the American way for rich people to steal from the poor. Like that, that's, it's not a Brett thing, um, nor is it like necessarily a white people thing, but it's, it's, we were talking about the bin. That's, that's got to get highlighted, man. Brett, Brett stealing people from, stealing from like 
the brokest of the broken, the blackest of the black to do something as like so irrelevant. <laughs> volleyball. Fucking volleyball. <laughs> what? No, man. Like I haven't read the piece in the athletic that we have um, detailing some of that stuff um, with his foundation or whatever. It's like they stole some more money. Uh, I haven't read that one yet, but I got caught up just so I could have a, just know kind of what's going on. Just Jesus Christ, Brett, like, you have the money. <laughs> Like, but that's what that's what rich people do, though. They don't spend their own money. That's how they stay so 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 rich. That's the American way. Uh, so yeah, Brett Brett's in there for sure. I never liked Brett uh, at all. Anyway, I just thought he was a dick. Uh, and people kept people kept asking him what he thought about stuff. It was like a, a good two or three year run. Like Trump was president, and Trump was running. People just kept asking Brett Favre what he thought about shit. Like it was like TMZ and just random newspapers and just podcast people. It's like, why, why, why do we care what Brett Favre has to say? It's very weird. <laughs> so hopefully we stop doing that. The other non-baseball Ben one is what is the, what is the, the guy who's, let me look, the guy who a uh, judge just tied him, his son. Oh, um, it's, it's Maris, Roger Maris. Maris. Yeah, yeah. Roger Maris. Yes. He, Maris, Maris, whatever him, his son. I saw some quote. From him saying that his dad should be the home run king and that the judge should be the home run king and that they play the game the right way and uh, all those guys shouldn't be acknowledged as the home run king. Uh, and I just got caught up on this on Wednesday night. Again, one of those things I was able to unbookmark and read. I was, because as you guys have probably seen, Judge is getting treated like he's about to win president or something like that. I just, I, I just because of the hype, I had thought that without looking at the numbers that he yep. was chasing his actual history. Yep, like he was going back. And then I, I looked it up yesterday. I was like, wait, hold on. I was went to my phone. I was like, there's no way 61 is a record. I was with my, I was with my homie, Sammy he was in the car. I was like, bro, Sammy, there's no way bonds ain't hit 61. I was like, yeah, bro. Then bonds hit seventies. We looked it up. I was like, I'm scrolling on my phone. I'm like, dog, 61 has been done seven times. <laughs> <laughs> not only is it not the record, <laughs> it's been done a, a, a bunch. Uh, and then I got caught up on the like why 61 American League National League I shouldn't have tweeted about it my mentions are a shit show uh, but yeah Roger Maris Jr. man we don't care what your dad your dad should hit the home <laughs> it's, it's very simple to me baseball made baseball peers made this shit way too complicated if you want to be the home run king hit more home runs than everyone else doesn't matter how you hit those home runs hit more home runs than everyone else they did not or Roger Maris did not neither did Sammy neither did Mark McGuire so Barry Bonds is the home run king till somebody else hits seventy four. Uh, but I just I just saw the interview with his son and I was like, but what? What you want for your dad's legacy is so irrelevant. You know, like, <laughs> your dad's it? not even number one. Your dad's like seventh. <laughs> he, he, so, so he was he was at Yankee Stadium, wasn't he? When Judge hit sixty, been at every game since Judge hit sixty. <laughs> so, just so he could be there for sixty one and presumably sixty two to kind of like pass on his dad's legacy to the next great like Yankee I was like, dude, your dad's not the king. <laughs> like he's not. I, I get the whole cheating thing, but like everyone knew they were cheating and hitting bombs back then. It's not like they duped the audience or the broadcasters or the fans. Everyone knew those guys were they knew the cork bats and the juice. They they knew at the time. And it was great fucking TV. Everybody watched baseball in the early two thousands and the late nineties. <laughs> They're hitting 50, 60 bombs uh, a year. Like, and now you can't just look back and be like, ah, well, that don't really count. <laughs> get, get out of here with that, man. Yeah, Roger Maris Jr., man. I, I get wanting to ride for your pops. I do. 
Like, I just don't think we should care what he wants, what he and his dad want for that legacy. It's like, bro, you didn't hit home runs. I, I tweeted that it's very similar to how people treat Kobe's 81 record in the NBA. That's 81 is not the record. You know, you'll see it with, you'll see it like when a guy gets real hot, scores like 60 or something, they'll be like, oh, leave him in. See if he can get 81. Like, well, that's cute, but the record's 100. Wilt scored 100. <laughs> you, like, you score 82, that's fine. That's a record. That is not the record. Same thing with the baseball, man. So, yeah, get Roger Maris in there, man. Nobody care about what you and your pops want. Your pops didn't hit, pops didn't hit the most home runs, man. He's not the king. That, that's fine. Your dad, your dad has a record in baseball. That's fantastic. He does not have the record. And that's the bottom line, man. Yeah, the, sure, I've got one more that isn't really like a, a bin as such, but it's kind of a almost like a. I'm watching the NFL every Sunday. I don't really know how to phrase this, but when the Patriots were the dominating evil force they were, there's the kind of like the Death Star looming over, the, lo- looming over the world, and we all have to beat the Patriots. We all have to beat the evil empire that is the Patriots. And I kind of wonder that if the league is lacking this sort of evil dynasty that everyone needs to sort of come together and defeat like the Super Bowls are going to bounce around from team to team to team and that that's fun in a way but I wonder if that with the there's such parity going on at the minute that there I don't know if this even makes any sense but there isn't this sort of there isn't this like benchmark team that we all have to go and beat and once they're beaten like we can celebrate, like it was the Colts, it was the Patriots. The Chiefs are kind of it, but they're not such a, a juggernaut. I feel like the, the league is lacking a, a real juggernaut for three or four years that everyone can, can can judge themselves against, Mike. Yeah, 100%. Most sports have that. They have the villain. like in, in And they need football, it. In college football, it's Bama for the most part. Um, and even with women's basketball, it was UConn for a while. I was like, let's get UConn up out of here because they was winning everything. You know, in college basketball, it's still Duke, even though Duke hasn't won a ton. And he's he's retired now as well, and he coach. Oh yeah, and then Coach, coach K's gone now. Uh, but like, yeah, in college, in college basketball, it's Duke. In college football, it's Bama. Um, and in women's in women's college basketball, it's a uh, it, it it was UConn for a while. It was Patriots in the NFL. Um, but for the NBA has had its runs where it was like the Lakers, um, the Spurs were never evil, uh, but like. That's the San Antonio Spurs, whatever evil, but like they they, they kind of qualified there. The Miami Heat became that eventually. The, the Golden State Warriors are kind of still that uh, now. Like yeah, having an evil villain uh, for sure is like the Patriots were that, and it was great to hate the Patriots. I don't even like the Patriots, and I don't even really care for any indiv- one individual NFL team like that. I just don't like the Patriots to win anything. Um, that's it's not even just because they're winning a lot. I just don't like their connection to Trump. I think Robert Kraft's a weirdo. Uh, I think Belichick's weird. I think Tom Brady's weird. I think they're all just weird. Uh, but yeah, they, I think you do need it. It, it. it it is more fun. That it's it's a different type of fun. I won't say it's more fun because I think it is legitimately fun when every team thinks they have a shot. Like right now, there's no favorite for the Super Bowl than like on the betting markets. But you know what I mean. Like yeah. an Eagles fan can look at a Dolphins fan right now and say, "See you in the Super Bowl," and that's I think that's legitimately entertaining. I do think that is fun. That is a fun experience. There's going to be a lot of teams that are two and two after week four, and one of they're probably going to get a team that was two and two at one point make the Super Bowl this year or something like that. Like that's that. I do think that that is fun, but at the same time, it's just a different type of fun for everyone to be looking up at. You know, like the Patriots or the Seahawks, even or the Seahawks were the gold standard for a while. Uh, there, like that. That 
I like both. I like parody, but I, I think there's a little bit. This is fun to just dislike uh, a team. It creates. It's nice when the whole uh, timeline is against one team. Yeah, like college college basketball is like that. When Duke loses an attorney every year, it is like t- people rejoice <laughs> for sure. When Duke, when Duke when Duke loses, same thing when when Bama loses in in, in college football. It's like slaying the slaying the dragon there. Part of that is Nick Saban is entirely just not likable. Uh, so yeah, I think I, I, it is missing a little bit. But I I, I, I will say like parody parody is kind of cool at least earlier in the year. And it's just like yeah, every team can feel like they got a shot you know it's just that is that is kind of fun there because then we get to learn more about the league you know at, at large we're not just only focused on like four teams or whatever like that that is kind of that is kind of cool but i'm with you adam it would be nice if like someone uh just uh, say the bills just run off like five title five, they make five title games or something like that over the next seven years something like that with josh allen that'd be dope because that when they lose popping champagne like that would be <laughs> I think that would be kind of. It's like Fitzpatrick was good in September and out in the league by January. It's like it's hap- it happens every year, but also the league is all about content for going viral, and it's all about celebrating shit, isn't it? That's why it's all kind of like they're pushing everything just to one point. And this year, there is no even empire apart from Jerry Jones. I mean, Jerry Jones is that surely no? Yeah, yeah Dallas bit- is always fun. Yeah, it is fun. Credit to Stephen A. Smith. He has made that part of his shit. <laughs> is to be like the, the, the anti-Dallas guy, um, which is just so good for entertainment to just like, to just enjoy. And then you just throw him and Michael Irvin on yeah. there. <laughs> five energy drinks each and watch him go at it at 7 a.m. Pacific time. You're like, oh my God, this is such great. This is great TV. I think the other part of that, we don't need the evil empire, but there's no bad boys either. Like I just did a story on how like the Seahawks had rivals in the AFC West and like the Raiders were legitimately like the bully on the block. They were dirty, they were nasty, they were physical, and it was just a reason to dislike the Raiders in the eighties and even in the seventies. Um, and it, that trickled into the nineties as well. The game is just so it's they've regulated that out of the game, so you can't have like a bad boy. Like the last one, Vontez Burfick is probably his legacy will go down as like the NFL's last, the last of the bad boys or something like that. Like. Mm. You just well maybe in Dominican Sue um be considered the last of the last. But you guys get what I'm saying. It's one of those two guys. Their legacy is ultimately going to be I was the last bad boy in the NFL. Oh, uh, pretty much. And they've been replaced with just more like irritants, like uh Chauncey Gardner Johnson, the corner, uh, who everyone likes to punch in the face, or um Eli Apple for some reason who no one likes. Um like you get irritants more than you get like legitimately bad boy players. I think if we had that too that would be kind of cool if we just had like some more just assholes in their play you know that that lineman from the saints is trying to be that that rookie um from northern iowa his name escapes um, um penning trevor penning yes yeah he's trying to be that he is that actually he is the but he's just a rookie so it's got to take some time but like even when jalen ramsey used to tell every quarterback they sucked like that was cool you know same thing with richard sherman he's like all of you guys suck i'm the best <laughs> that he, he became the league's bad boy. We could use more of those type of guys, not the kind of politically correct, everyone loves each other, let's all do the gritty and hold hands um, type of thing. Like, I think there's room for guys to just be like, you know what, fuck everyone else. My team's the best, you know, and I'm the best at what I do. Like, we, we are we are missing that as much as we're missing a villain. Yeah. Uh, anyone else for the bin, Adam? I don't think I've got anyone apart from myself. No, you you can stay in the bin and uh, yeah. Um, so the rule. Uh, before we 
wrap up two things. Mariners look like something's coming to an end. Mike, are you are you are you, are you Mariners on that bandwagon? Or are you like jumping on? Oh yeah, yeah. I have a, I have a Mariners tattoo on my chest. Um, so I'm yeah. I'm I'm all in. It's just it's actually over my heart too. Actually, um, I, yeah. I'm all, I'm all I'm I'm all in on the hype version. Of it. <laughs> I just I just want. I'm not an underdog by nature. I've never kind of viewed myself that. Like I, when I go out there to win, like when I go out there, like when I play flag football on the Saturdays with, with Chris, you know, and we do like just randomly pick teams. And every once in a while, a team will look kind of lopsided based on the players that got picked. And then, you know, I'll all, even if my team's on the other side of that, I'm always going to be like, we're about to fuck you guys up. And I'm like, Mike, what are you talking about? <laughs> look who's on your team. Look who's your crap. I'm like, you got me. I'll score all the touchdowns if I need to, and we're going to beat you guys. I'm naturally – I have a favorite mentality. Seattle is a sports town. It's like the opposite. We're like the little engine that could compared to like an L.A. or Boston or New York because we don't have the championships other than the storm. So like, I want us to get going. I want the Mariners to just be kicking everybody's – I want us to be that villain. You know, like we're, we're, we're the new Yankees. You know, everyone hates us. They're rooting for the Mariners to fall. Or they, if the Kraken become that too. I'm not this whole – I'm not Rudy. I ain't. I ain't. I'm, I'm delighted from that story at least at the start of the fight. You know, like that's that's kind of I've always wanted to be. You know, like so I want the Mariners to get out of that being a little lovable team in the Pacific Northwest. Fuck that. Yeah. Go be the team that's winning a hundred games every year. That everyone wants to knock off. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I, I'm, I'm, if nothing else, I'm rooting for the Mariners in that regard. I mean, Julio emerging as quickly as he did, but also timing wise as the uh, quarterback. Jetsons off to uh, Denver. That is kind of like sliding doors, and it Seattle loses. It's like sporting centerpiece. Obviously, uh, Super's also retired as well, but Julio is, and m- maybe DK, but Julio, f- from our vantage point over here, kind of feels like the center of the Seattle sporting stratosphere at the minute, isn't he? Because he's twenty-one-year-old kid. He's always got a massive grin on his face, like for like. A month, it felt like in July and June. Every morning I woke up, Julio had done something ridiculous. Yeah, it's. I think it's. I think DK is still the the most popular dude. Like, I was just. I was talking to a a, a Wazoo uh, WSU class, a sports journalism class this morning. Actually, I was telling them like, Julio's that guy. But at the same time, like everyone knows who DK is with his shirt off and no jersey. <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's he's still. Nothing Julio's done has gone viral in this in the same way DK chasing Buddha did. Yeah, like, like that's just not you know like I walk I'm, I'm in this city. Ain't, ain't, there's a lot more DK jerseys in around town than there is Julio's, and I, I live here. I, I know. Mm-hmm. I say that confidently. Um, not to say Julio ain't big. I'm just saying like DK DK is a freak of nature, star athlete, and the biggest sport in America. <laughs> so like it's, yeah. it's gonna be tough to top that. But DK is only like 25. Uh, I think, you know, maybe I mean, 24. I think he's not turn, turn out turn 25 till December. So they both can be the young studs. You're right. That is just a cool time, you know, in, in Seattle. So I hope, I, but it only matters if you win. Yeah. You know, Felix Hernandez can tell you all about being a star and a loser. <laughs> you know, we don't want to do that shit. You want to win. So they got to win. So I hope, I hope both teams start winning in that regard, man. Cause like I told that class this morning, it wasn't – they had so many superstars on this Legion of Boom era team because they were winning too. Like you just had no choice but to turn and see all these great players who were also winning. Yeah. You know, that's what that's what you need more than anything. You got to win. Yeah. And uh, a few w- weeks 
down the line. The Apple Cup is could be tasty this year because they are some fast, potent offences through again in the early part of the college football season at Montlake and down over in Spokane. If there's an opposite of the bin, it's just the observation that like this is the first time I believe in my little bit of research that Washington State and Washington have had black quarterbacks at the same time, black starting quarterback. That is that is incredible. Those those schools have been around for a long time. We've <laughs> <laughs> had football for a long time, man. Like as a Wazoo grad, we've only had three ever. Cam Ward is our third ever um a black black starting quarterback. And that's crazy to think about. We've been over, around for over hundred years. UW's had a bunch, um, at least more than us. So the, the, to have two at the same time is like pretty, pretty incredible. If I was less busy, I probably I would almost write something about that because that's like super. That's a big deal to me, you know, like for for the um, for just kids to see black quarterbacks in a town like this. Three black quarterbacks count Gino too. Um, like that, that's super dope, and they're all playing relatively well too. You know, like that's. That's, that's that's really cool to sh- just for that to be seen in this city. Like you don't just got to be a corner, or a DB, or a corner, or a safety, or a running back, or whatever. Like linebacker, oh man, you can be a quarterback. You can be a major Pac-12 quarterback or whatever's left of the Pac-12 in a few years. Um, you know, in in the state of state of Washington, you don't got to go to the South to do it or something like that. That's super cool. Independent of who wins the Apple Cup, obviously I hope we win. But that is a really cool part of college football right now for me, at least locally. That. I look on the TV each Saturday. I see two brothers slinging it, man. That's that's that's, that's tight. That's, yeah. that's, that's super cool. Got me wanting to play quarterback a little bit. They wouldn't let me last Saturday, man. They 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 wouldn't let me play quarterback in our flag game. But I could sling it a little bit. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I, I I I could sling it. And it uh, we've mentioned your, your pod a few times. You had your first was it your first live show a few weeks ago. Yeah, you first live show ever. How, how did that go? How was was that doing the pod with like your listeners? five feet away that was that was amazing man it was amazing just to see how many people have been rocking with us for so long like we had one fan who said he'd be listening to it for like two three years or something like that he was blind um and he was like he i really wish i remember his name right now but he like was talking about how he like listened to our show and like me and chris was like kind of like painting a picture of what's happening you know like that was just crazy and people just come up like man i've been listening since this time i've listened since this that's just super cool you know, and, and humbling, and it just uh, it's just uh, nice to see it, you know, because we get tweeted and stuff, or I get texts or Instagram, whatever. But like to see like that person show that love, that's that's super that's super cool to me, man. So like I wish I hope we can do it again. If I go to Germany, I would love to do a show out there. I don't know, I don't think Chris would come, um, but to even just set up something out there would just be cool with our, all our fans. That, you know, that's international. That's gonna make the trip. It would just be a super good time. But yeah, I can't thank people enough, man. Live show. I was super nervous about it, and it was just ended up being a great, great night, man. I'm glad glad you reminded me of that. That was a good time. That's class. And uh, yeah, about what seven weeks away from your trip, your first trip over to Germany for the Munich and Tom Brady. Uh, what's left of Tom Brady um, in, in, in Munich? It, like me and Adam aren't making the trip, but that's, that's still a pretty big deal and it's probably one of the bigger highlights on the Seahawks schedule that's remaining isn't it that trip oh yeah for for sure man I think I can't I can't wait if I if I do end up going I'm trying to I'm actually supposed to price it out and let my editor know how much it will cost like today I'll actually do that now uh I really want to go man it just it's just being out there in London which is like eye-opening when I came in 2018 man you would just never thought that people cared about the Seahawks that much 
so far away, you know, like I have a hard time caring about like sports on the East Coast, you know, like <laughs> in, in, in America. I can't imagine. Dude, it's just like I think of you guys every 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 primetime game. I'm like, man, Adam and them, it's like three in the morning right now, and they watching the offense <laughs> score. Uh, although you guys had to feel good though on Monday. Uh, that, that's yeah. worth it. What was it like five a.m. when the game? Yeah, that's worth that. I went to work an hour later and was at work for ten hours, and it was. I, mean, I was obliterated come five o'clock at Monday afternoon. But oh uh, yeah, like I stayed. At, I stayed up for every press conference after the game. Yeah, same, <laughs> same. I, I was I, buzzing. Yeah, I was I, buzzing. I, th- I think that, I put that, like a, yeah. I think I put like a good, good video on or something. Just watched uh, pearly white golfers hit um youtube golfers hit the ball around some california course um yeah i think that's everything i don't think there's anything else like uh, yeah if, if no one's picked up on it yet the, the object of this um podcast this year is not to talk much about the seahawks so i think we've got done our fill for like <laughs> these last these at this hour and a half of you mike yeah, and as ever th- we th- think big ignore the small we can ignore yeah. the <laughs> and just think think big think big yeah now that's that's probably the way to the way to go at least now i do think they could turn some offensively they could turn it around i think they could end up having like a a top like 13 offense or something like that the weapons are there the main thing for me was gino and the pass protection Coming into yeah. the year, I was like, if those two things don't work, this could get ugly. Geno's <laughs> been fine. Pass protection's been fine. You should go win games if you have those two things. If your quarterback's playing fine and your your O line protecting him, you should win games. That like, unless your defense is hot garbage, you should win. And even if your defense is hot garbage, you can score thirty. Uh, so like, that's that should be the saving grace. So hopefully that gives you something you guys gives you guys something to talk about in the future shows and us too man we'll be struggling, <laughs> we'll be struggling by week eight if this i mean i'm i am in every instagram dm which is allowing me to message at the minute just trying to come on just come on jump jump on to, i think i even tweeted greg rosenthal who's on uh, around the nfl like come on and talk about anything else apart from the sequels <laughs> but um but yeah as always might we appreciate your time we we know how ridiculously busy you are during the week and during the nfl season it's like it's yeah, it's it's always always a blast and always a fun. Just it's a shame that we're not gonna have a um, a pint or a, a a bit of was it reindeer sausage and crab in person in twenty twenty two, but maybe twenty twenty three, Mike. Oh, you guys on no no trip over here this time? This nah. year? Not as it stands, not as it stands. You gotta come through London on the way back from Germany, surely. How far is that? One and a half two hour flight, not even, in the right direction. Oh. Yeah, not not bad. Okay, I gotta. I, I guess I'm, I'm supposed to send it to my. I'm supposed to send my editor how much it is now, um, and figure out how that goes. I gotta figure out the the hotel thing too. Um, there's like a media hotel they're putting us all in. I gotta figure out how much it costs um, to stay there and get the prices out because they got the bye week right after the Germany game too, so I mm-hmm. could stay out there after the game. I just gotta figure all all, all that out. I'm doing. We do that as soon as we hang up today. I'm gonna do that while I watch Thursday night football. So. Yeah. Sprinkle, sprinkle a few hundred pounds on a trip to London on the way back, and I'm sure your editor will be delighted. <laughs> oh man, I would, I, I, I loved being overseas, man. Like it was, it was amazing. So I've, I've been to Canada, been to Mexico, been to London. Like if I can get Germany on that list and go back to London too, man, that'd be, that'd be tight. I'll let you guys know once I get that finalized. You guys will certainly hear from me. So awesome. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of UK guys. Actually, there's a lot of German guys uh, ready and waiting for the Seahawks uh, to land in seven, eight weeks, I think it is. Uh, but yeah, uh, usual, usual means and methods. Uh, go, if you haven't already, I, I'm not, I don't think there'll be 
anyone, maybe anyone listening who hasn't uh, heard Seahawks Bantam, go and check that out with Mike and Chris. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Patreon Podcast, Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. Enjoy the game uh, from whatever corner world you're watching it from on Sunday. But until next time, this has been the Pedestrian Podcast. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.